Coming up next, the booking reads The Great Gatsby. Welcome to the Booking. This is Nathan. I am your humble and obedient host, and we're starting over. We did a dud take. Maybe I'll put it on the end of this episode or something. You can hear what a dud take sounds like. But uh, we still got, pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fantastic. Actually, it's better than what we were doing now. <laughs> we like to keep things at a certain quality level here, and I mean, not too good, not too bad, but just here where we're at if right it was 8%. too good then it would set expectations too high for the next episode and we can't have that no no no. we need expectations to be exactly where we want them to be c plus c plus that's what you aim for a c plus you get a c plus you get a c plus if you're good at what you do yeah brandon hey uh did i introduce myself i don't know well i'm nathan Everson, your humble and obedient host that's brandon chastine scholar who's a baller of reading brandon 2019 you still feeling good being the scholar who's a baller of reading i think i'm fine with that name you think you're fine with that name okay that's a a very (laughs) politic answer isn't it (laughs) this is my year of being very political i think i'm fine with that name yeah i'm gonna try out for some politics here in 2020 all right ready hey we should introduce the other person that's here with us brandon let's do it why don't you do the honors this year he is still known as the pastor who is a master of reading it's jake Minsel. Well, hi. Also known as the CEO of Warhorn Media. Why don't you ask him how he likes the titles, if he's still happy with them, if we need to change okay. anything up. Is this how we're going to do this? Mm-hmm. Are, are you still happy with your titles? Would, would you like to change anything up? If I answer yes. You don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. You're leaving it wide open. So yes to the first and no to the second. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yes, no. you are happy with your titles. No, no, no. You got to yes. ask yes. me to interpret. Oh, Brandon, will you interpret it, please? Yes, he's happy with his titles. No, mm-hmm. he doesn't want to change it up. He doesn't want to change it up. No. I think he's kind of worried about what you might do if he decided to change it up. I was going to call him Beastmaster Funky Town. <laughs> he was going to call you Beastmaster Funky Town. Totally. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> totally. Let's do it. <laughs> Introducing Beastmaster Funky Town. Oh, what's Jake up, y'all? <laughs> Wait, me. That's an interesting town. title to have to live up to. <laughs> hey, I think he's going to do it. I don't know. I think Jake will make a fantastic. He's got my vote as Beastmaster Funky Town for sure. I mean, he has those Winnie the Pooh characters under his foot. <laughs> yeah, he does. Beastmaster. Heck yeah, man. And we all, I mean, who can listen to Jake and not think of the word Funky Town? That's what I always think of. That's my question. <laughs> the song's always running through my head when Jake walks into a room. <laughs> <laughs> he does oh, generally does walk in slow motion with that? strobes yeah. going. Yeah, I don't and... think too hard about it, <laughs> I probably should have thought harder about it before I said it, but hey. Probably. Hey, there goes the airplane. Indicating baggage. Check the part of the show where we indicate the baggage. Or That was a weird way to say that. We don't indicate the baggage. The part... Well, there it is. The baggage. Yeah, there's the baggage. <laughs> Moving on. Oh, no, Brandon. Watch out. Baggage is falling out of oh, the no, plane. Oh, hit me. Oh, I'm dead. Brandon's dead, everyone. You're going to have to get another person to fill my spot. <laughs> <laughs> the sound of Ghost Brandon we're hearing, we're hearing right now. Yeah. We'll hey. just have Ghost Brandon do it. Yeah. Okay. Hey, guys. All right. So Jake's going to be Beastmaster Funky Town, and you're going to be Ghost Brandon. <laughs> Ghost Brandon. <laughs> For 2019, hopefully we can bring back the real Brandon. <laughs> 
<laughs> Our show has become a crummy DJ show, by the way. Not <laughs> Beastmaster Funky Town and Ghost Brandon. Hey, hey. Ooh, Nathan, <laughs> booing right at you. <laughs> Ghost Brandon, this is such a lame like DJ sidekick character. <laughs> I mean, obviously, Beastmaster Funky Town is an awesome. That's yeah, fantastic. Totally. Right. Especially that I, since I died getting hit yeah. by like somebody's suitcase. <laughs> somebody's suitcase that fell I'm going to I'm gonna make that my new handle on social media. I think you should. You should. I think you should. Beastmaster of Funky Town. So baggage hit Brandon. All right. And <laughs> I'm dead. <laughs> <he> died. <laughs> now I'm Ghost Brandon. Ghost Brandon, though, still maintains your memories. Do you, when your brain dies and you become a ghost, do you maintain, we can ask you this question since you're here and you're dead and you're a ghost. Do you still have your memories? I do. Sweet. Yeah. wonder how that works. I guess it's not all connected to the cognitive processes of your brain. I guess not. We're more than matter. We are more than this crude matter. Yeah, we're more than just matter and synapses. Synapses. All right. In your face, radio lab. Who do we want to... So baggage check is what happened is when that plane went over that indicated baggage check, which is the part of the show where we talk about our baggage. So we'll go with Ghost Brandon first. What baggage did you bring to the great... Gatsby. To the great Gatsby. I read Gatsby in high school, and I don't think I really understood a word of it because mm. I don't really remember any of it. Right. And so now I've reread it. <laughs> um, in college, as an undergrad, I read, so my freshman year of college, I read The Side of Paradise on the recommendation of a friend, and I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I thought it, the writing won me over his poetic prose that you see in Gatsby. So I was quite a big fan of this side of paradise, though I never went back to Gatsby until now. So what my thoughts are on Gatsby, we will find out. I'm excited to hear those thoughts, Brandon. Thank you, Nathan. Jake, same question. Gatsby's one of those books that I would have never read in high school because it was assigned. And so I didn't. And I am 98% sure I listened to this book on audiobook while I was painting. I spent first year of marriage and so straight out of college to pastor's college training for the ministry as a commercial painter up in Indianapolis, which is about an hour commute. My wife would go to the library and get me audiobooks, and pretty sure this was, 98% sure this was one of them. Listen to this driving to and from Indianapolis. So this was my second time actually reading it, and then I've seen at least the DiCaprio version of Did this movie. Did it make a deep impression? Did you? I guess you didn't even, rem- you, you say this as if you didn't even remember, you're not 100% sure that you actually I had remembered read it as time. I was reading it. I had read, I must have read it before. Are, could it be just, DiCaprio residue? No, it couldn't <laughs> have been DiCaprio stuff. DiCaprio residue. <laughs> <laughs> Spontaneously combusted in your mind. <laughs> no, it wasn't, no. It was, it was moments in the book itself. I hear it. Kind of a theme going on here, but yeah. Yes, yes, that's what I'm trying to tease out, and I'm thoroughly disgusted by the term DiCaprio residue. I'm not. <laughs> You're happy. <laughs> it makes you happy. Yeah. Great. Uh, Nathan, what's your baggage? Well, my baggage is, this continues with the theme that Brandon was just uh, noting, which is that I want to say I've read this now. I'm actually not quite sure. It's possible that before today, or before the bookening, I'd only read this novel once. But I think I'd read it at least twice, maybe three times. I'd read it, I know, in high school. And then I think another time, I actually think not that long ago, like maybe just a couple of years ago. But I would say this is one of the number one novels. And I suppose this will be a segue into our conversation because I don't have a lot of baggage with it. I, I guess I'll say I like the era. I like Fitzgerald. Generally speaking, I've read some short stories. I've not ever completed any of his other novels, although I have started some of them. 
I have read some really great short stories by him, and I've really I've read some bad short stories by him. Some of which I think are critically assessed to be bad because they're the ones that he wrote, like Brandon was talking about last week for money, just to submit to the Atlantic or whoever would have published them. So I've read some of those. But generally speaking, I'd say I would think of him as a good writer. And I love the era. I love the Lost Generation. I love those guys. I love their prose style. I generally enjoy reading anybody uh, from that group. Having said that, I cannot tell you exactly how many times I've read Gatsby. And I can say that going into it, it was very hard for me to remember anything that happened in the book. It was all really hazy. And I had some more concrete ideas because of the stupid DiCaprio movie. I had some images in my head from that, and I could kind of link them back. Like I could use that as my sort of archaeological keys to get me back to to figure out what the book was about. But it's really more so, there's only one other book I can think of that had this effect, and it was The Stranger by Camus is for whatever reason, I don't know if it was just the time I read it or whatever, but it's very hazy in my mind. Like, and mm-hmm. it's not been that many years, you know. I mean, there's certain books that are hazy because I read them when I was 10. But Great Gatsby's not like that. I've read it a number of times. And yet, for some reason, it's never quite stuck. And yeah. So let's just answer that. Let's just get right into that to start with. Mm-hmm. Anybody have any theories on whether I'm right or wrong? It sounds like we've all had similar experiences. As to, whether, right, as to whether it stuck with you? I think you're right. Okay, great. <laughs> okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I confirm that I believe you. But it sounds like we all had a somewhat similar experience and that we had trouble recollecting this novel yeah. until we entered back into it. I think it has to do with the pro style mm-hmm. and the narrative. Well, in particular, the narrative style. Yeah. And the, the Nick retells this in kind of a hazy, humid way. I mean, I guess part of the genius of it is that it captures the vibe of that time in his life, that era, the, mm-hmm. the hot, humid alcohol yeah what's the modifier i want hot humid drowned drowned swimming pools wet watery yeah steeped steeped Mm -hmm. yeah that's kind of what it is steeped because i i was interested to see if to i couldn't remember if all his prose was like this so i've actually restarted this side of paradise Mm -hmm. and it's not this side of paradise is clearer and it's more of a satire on amory blaine Right. He has more distance between himself than Nick has with Gatsby. So there is a cloudiness, a murkiness to the style in Gatsby that's not in, at least that's not in this side of paradise. I can't speak for his later novels. Yeah, which could but, be brilliant. I mean, it's almost like it's he's capturing the feeling of an alcoholic of being memory, like, yeah. like the kinds of memories you have from a New Year's Eve party, say, which is this is not the kind of New Year's Eve party I had this year or any of my friends did because we were all at the same New Year's Eve. But I'm sure we've all had the experience, I think I can speak for all of us, that we've all had the perhaps not entirely proprietous experience of having an evening of drink, which turns into a somewhat hazy memory with some sharp points that you can kind of look to and a general feeling associated with it, but it's not real clear in your mind. Mm-hmm. This novel is, I mean... Maybe kind of you, like that. And yeah. It kind of captures, I mean, okay guys, we've all had too much to drink in this room before, so it captures that... At times, the euphoria. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At times, the confusion. At times, the... Sickness. The sickness, yeah, yeah. absolutely. But it really mostly captures the depressed aftermath, I would say. Yeah, the hangover. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's yeah. a lot of what this book is, is like... This book does kind of just feel like a hangover. Yeah. That's interesting. And it sort of goes away like a hangover after you read it. It's just like, well, that was pungent, but then... And yeah, it sort of drifts. Yeah, I don't know that it's going to this time because 
we're doing a podcast, a couple of podcasts we're, about it, so it's, it might stick yeah. more for all of us and, this time. Yeah, we read it differently, and right. we'll we're and discussing so, it. And I mean, I I'd never discussed it before. Yeah, I, I mean, it's like I said, I had completely forgotten that I had any contact with this actual book, but I knew this story. I watched it. Like I was like, oh yeah, I know what happens next. Oh yeah, I know what happens next. Oh yeah, I know what happens. At a certain point, I was like, oh yeah. But even then, it was like some of the details were just like not there. It was like, oh yeah, somebody's gonna yeah kill her with exactly. the car. I forgot significant. Somebody, like it's that. important who's driving. I don't quite remember who. Like I had to jog my memory, you know. And eventually, I got it. But it was like I had even forgotten that Gatsby died. Oh yeah, that's which is pretty bad. Well, I, well no, no. The, the, I spent was... I spent a significant amount of time. I know that he comes to a ruinous end. Does he get exposed as a bootlegger to yep. the FBI? Does Tom call somebody? Is there a hit? Like it just took me forever to like remember all of these things that I already knew. Like, mm-hmm. and once we got far enough into the story, you know, I remembered certain of those things. But it was just like, well, and I'd seen this stupid movie too. Yeah. Well, I haven't seen any of the movies, but what is kind of brilliant about this is that uh, maybe I'm going to talk myself into liking the novel. Yeah, well, go ahead. Everybody is comes into each other's life and then they just disappear. Mm-hmm. Like Jordan Baker and Nick have this brief relationship and then it just is quickly over. Right? You have that one scene where he... Jake that? just, he's sitting next to a wall, which is unusual. I'm just going to tell the listeners <laughs> the what room's happened. Rearranged. And he decided to swing his arm back dramatically or really just kind of... Stretch it, I think. Stretch it. Yeah. And he slammed his elbow into the wall, and now he is in great pain. Yeah, it hurts. Caught it just right. Are you okay? Wasn't Uh, funny, I guess. That wasn't funny. (laughs) I will survive. He will survive. It wasn't funny. As long as I know how to love. As long as you know how to love. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know how to love? I do. Okay, good. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Problem solved. What were you saying, Brandon? I'm sorry. Yeah, everybody passes in and each out of each other's lives very quickly and without too many repercussions, except for the Wilsons. Yes, they're the kind of they're the placeholder for something that's different. But everybody quit forgets about Gatsby at the end. He only has those few people that show up to his funeral, except the owl, the glass, the guy with the glasses who has the owl eyes. Mm-hmm. He shows up. I haven't really teased out as to why that would be important that he's the one that shows up. But he's the one that's in the library, sees the books. And he thinks they're all fake, but it's just they've never been opened. Right. Um, or they've never been, yeah, the books haven't been opened. And back then, the books had the paper seal on some of the pages that you would actually have to take your paper knife and open the pages. And so you could actually tell whether or not a book had ever been read. But yeah, Jordan Baker and Nick, they are quickly out of each other's life. They have a little bit of a brief flare up, and then it's over. And Nick is just moving on. And so everything's forgotten. Even these intense relationships that you had are just quickly forgotten. It's almost like a novel about high school or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just yeah. It's these really intense things much that about felt important at the time. And yeah. then they I mean, all I just melted Nick's into like dissipation. But they're all in their 30. 30s. Yeah. yeah. Which Nick's is like 30, right? He's yeah. like, like, he celebrates his 30th birthday That's towards right. the end of the book. So they're all our age. And yet they're having these. It feels like a story more about arrested development in its mm-hmm. way. Well, I think it is yeah. to an extent about arrest development. I think you have West Egg and East Egg. They both represent two sides of this coin that is very superficial. And you have Tom that's always been stuck, you know, right after his last football victory. That's when his life peaked. You have Gatsby whose life, who thinks his life peaked the second he met Daisy and they both live in pursuit of this this thing that they're this ideal. far in their past. Yeah. It's not the reality of their lives. And so... The narrative style here actually is very similar to Wuthering Heights. Mm-hmm. Interesting. In the sense that you're not seeing, you're seeing the story through the eyes of a narrator who has had nothing to do with the story, really. 
So Nick, he is a part of the story, but it's really Gatsby and Daisy's story. And he's trying to tell it to us, but he's on the sidelines just like everyone else. And he's trying to figure it out. And for some reason, Gatsby has drawn him into his life. But you don't even know whether or not all of Nick's memories are reliable. Right. And I think you're supposed to question whether or not Nick's memories are completely reliable. Because he's a drunk and is he trying to glamorize anything for us, especially about Gatsby? We just, you know, you don't know. Do we ever get to actually, this is a tangential question, I'm not sure, but I don't feel like we ever actually really get to know Gatsby. Is he in fact still a cipher at the end of the book or is he? I think he's still a cipher at the end of the book. He is. Because he, if we're talking about the book being hazy, it occurs to me that like Tom and Daisy aren't so hazy. No. The Myrtles, uh, not the Myrtles, the Wilsons aren't so hazy, but Gadsby himself, the central figure is elusive. Yeah. I don't know that. I think the, if you're supposed to come away thinking about the mystique of Gadsby, I think it's a, that's not what, you know what I kept being reminded of? I kept being reminded of, what's his name? The hotel builder. Oh. Martin Dressler's guy. Martin Martin Dressler. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was Martin Dressler. What'd you say? I said Martin Dressler's guy, but it was Martin Dressler. Stephen Milhauser. Stephen Milhauser was the guy. Yeah, Yeah, no, (laughs) Martin Dressler seems to be uh, designed after the type that is Gatsby. (sighs) I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, I think you're right. This, you know, and the whole idea of Martin Dressler as the American entrepreneur from this time period, I think it would have been fascinating to have read Gatsby before Dressler, and Mm -hmm. we would have, I think we would have made a lot of connections and seen a lot of parallels if we had done that. It occurs to me that it's, it's, Stephen Milhauser probably had to, sorry to anyone that doesn't remember or didn't read along with our Dressler episodes, but Stephen Milhauser had to make a conscious choice, didn't he, not to tell that story through a Nick yes, Carraway kind exactly. of figure. Yeah, he Like did. that's a weird choice actually in telling the story of a great man to not have a sidekick or a, you know, to right. be looking at it through someone's eyes yeah. is the usual way of telling this kind of epic tale. But even his narrative style though had some of that dreamy quality to it. It did. Of, of all the books that have this sort of golden haze over them, or I don't know if I'd say golden, maybe that's just the wrong cliche, just but, a, but haze. a haze, a haze those, those are probably, these are probably the two. Yeah, yeah. And we're both dealing with, with two people who they idealize everything they come into contact with and they're able to then turn that into, into gold, mm-hmm. into the American dream, but not really. And that works out with the women and it works out with their business and their lives. You know, Stephen Milhauser makes himself out of nothing. Right. He decides he's going to be something. You mean no, you're, you're doing your reverse branding? Man, I just reverse <laughs> <laughs> me. I'm going to blame you for it. Right. Blame me. Mar- Martin Dressler decides he's going to make himself out of nothing. Right. The self-made American entrepreneur type pull himself up by his bootstraps, and he's got this sort of like idealized view of everything, and he's striving after some ideal. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting, it's almost like. There's this moment in Gatsby where Caraway's explaining that Gatsby could have done something really great and really creative and really special, but he got fixated on Daisy. Right. And if he hadn't gotten fixated on everything became then about Daisy. But if it, if that had never happened, it could have done something. It's almost like Milhauser's telling this story of, okay, what if Gatsby never got fixated on, on Daisy? Right. Then what? And then it gets extraordinary and fantastical and, and right. fun in that way. But they fixate on the idea in that ideal and they daydream it and they idealize it into something it can't ever possibly be. He, uh, Dressler idealizes what's her face, whoever the sister, the sister, <laughs> whatever is. her name is. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and that's what Gatsby does with Daisy and that's what Gatsby does with <clears> everything. One to us, I mean, Dressler does that also with his hotel. It ends up destroying him too, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but that, yeah, that's interesting. 
And he, so he, uh, you said he idealizes. And with Gatsby, he idealizes Daisy. And he wants to go to back to that point. Yeah. Where he, she never even was that person he had idealized in the first place. That's right. That's kind of the point of the book is that Shoot. no one who is ever who you want them to be or who you think they are. Were yeah, always... and, and Tom knew that. Yeah. For all of his right. stupidity and all of his faults, Tom knew Daisy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Gatsby didn't know Daisy. Right. Yeah. Well, and I'm just going to go ahead and spoil my thoughts about that movie we're going to watch next week, the Leo DiCaprio movie, if anyone wants to, the dumb thing about that movie is that it makes Daisy into an awesome love interest instead of really? the shallow, manipulative, stupid. I mean, the whole point of Daisy in the book is that she's not worth it. She's just something he's created in her head. She's not, she's not actually. Yeah, she's a romantic ideal that he's created. Right. The movie mm-hmm. actually gives into that romantic ideal. Maybe you guys won't agree, but that's, that's why I didn't like the movie as impressive as it was in other areas. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's just a sad love story of the of two star-crossed lovers that cannot be which has nothing to do with the novel in my humble no, that's opinion. not what the novel's about yeah but we'll see how we feel because about you it. have that scene where tom and daisy are at the table in the kitchen together you don't know what they're saying but you he this is nick he yeah. sees yeah. them yeah this is after everything's happened and they're obviously conspiring together mm-hmm. what's the what does he say about them they almost look like they're home or something or they're no, yeah, he says but, he almost looks like they almost look like they're conspiring. Right. Is that what he That's says? That's actually what he says. Okay. Yeah. And <clears throat> they are conspiring. They're plotting Gatsby's ruin. You have to imagine. Tom is saying, here's what we'll do. And then you already know that Tom has, you don't know at this point, you find out later that Tom had gone back and planted the- That had happened. Idea of Gatsby. That happened while they were, yep. before he got That's home. before the conspiracy. Conspiracy. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, either way, even if he's just sweet talking her and she's okay with it, it still belies their basic selfish them as people that just break things and don't care. Yeah, I mean, I think that on the one hand, there was a time when Daisy was completely into Gatsby, but even even then, the novel makes it clear that part of what was attractive about her was that she she wasn't right. But the fact that they were writing letters to each other all the way through the war. Yeah, I don't doubt. I mean, I wouldn't say that Daisy wasn't ever worth something but she clearly made a choice at some point in her life to be the kind of woman that she is and to accept a high standard of living from tom and to Mm -hmm. be indolent and to not care about her children and to yeah to live as the the kind of dissipated lifestyle that she's living she made a choice against whatever notions gadsby thought she had Mm -hmm. and he does not win her back from that and she's never even really tempted she was never actually in play what she was was angry yeah maybe she would have had an affair with and him nostalgic. Maybe she did she, I, or she did yeah but yeah she's not she's not leaving tom she she and tom were made for each other basically at this point yeah whatever she used and that's to what she realizes right and that's what tom knows right yep well in terms of the style i just wanted to finish that thread up a little bit what is it because i think it is the story, but what is it about the way that he tells the story that does give it that haze? Like, why why do things not... We said he's doing this effectively and purposely, most likely, but what is it exactly that he's doing? One thing I noticed, and this can kind of get us going, is um, he would skip over things that you were told happen. Like, mm-hmm. Or he would jump ahead. Yeah. So Gatsby invited him to go on his seaplane or whatever that was, mm-hmm. the first time he ever meets Gatsby. We never even get that scene. Right. right, right. We only find out that it has happened because he skipped weeks ahead or something, and you don't really yeah, ever have then, a clear sense of time as to what's where we are yeah. in within the summer. 
Yeah. So the way so. that he jumps around is, I think, a, a big part of that. Like, yeah. and now here's the chapter where I'm going to tell you who Jay Gatsby really is. Yeah. I'm only telling you this now as a placeholder for like, there was some time passing. And so I don't know, but this is going to come up later and figure in later. But I'm telling you here for some reason. And then, you know, then he's like, well, and this is the night when he told me about the thing. Mm-hmm. Well, Nick's not actually around for two of the most pivotal moments, which are he goes for a walk when Daisy and Gatsby are reunited. Yeah. He comes back with them, their relationship having rekindled, but he doesn't actually see how it happens. Mm-hmm. And then obviously Gatsby's death. There's a, any number of things that would be the high points, the climactic moments in another novel are told after the fact as exposition from Yeah, from the, Nick. a lot of narrative exposition. He's there for parties and for confrontations. It's all narrative exposition and dialogue. And there's like no action mm-hmm. except for... Usually with Tom. Tom exactly. will actually come into the Tom's thing the and be forceful. And... Who is doing things. When Tom's on the scene, then you get some action outside of that. And it's memorable. He just breaks that woman's, that poor woman's nose with a deft, however he describes it. You just imagine him just making one little movement and suddenly her nose is gushing. It's pretty brutal stuff. Yeah. And he's going to come up, charge up and be confrontational with with Gatsby. Yeah. We're going to see him driving. We're not going to ever see what's going on in the other car where Tom's not. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that's the other big climactic moment. Somebody dies, Daisy runs someone down, and we only hear about it after the fact. Yeah, you don't actually see it happen. Right. That's interesting. The other thing I kind of thought was he doesn't, his his style, to get a little bit more specific just about the way he words things, it's great. It's also an interesting style in this book because it doesn't actually give you a lot of concrete images, at least not the way that I imagine things. Uh, the example I pulled out was, He smiled understandingly, much more than understandingly. It was one of those rare smiles with the quality of eternal reassurance in it that you may come across four or five times in life. It faced or seemed to face the whole external world for an instant and then concentrated on you with an irresistible prejudice in your favor. That's one of my favorite paragraphs in the whole book. It's also, I don't know what that smile looks like, Mm -hmm. you know. No, but I've, yeah, I mean, that's, it's a beautiful piece. But you know the sense. It's a beautiful piece of writing and it gives you a feeling and it, it's it's like poetry, but it's not image poetry. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a, no, it's, it's just emotional based. poetry. Yeah. It's evocative. Which I'm, is, yeah, his style is very evocative as, a, as opposed to, like, I don't really know what his, It's emotionally evocative in a sense. Yeah. Right. It's not exactly, it's not visually evocative. Yeah, because, for example, I don't really know what Gatsby's house looks like. Right. But I do get the sense of what it must feel like to see Gatsby's house. Right. Yeah. Same thing for the characters, actually. You know, yeah. you, you get a sense of them as types, as archetypes even. You know, the his next girlfriend is going to be laying on the couch and she's going to be kind of indolent and still and everything. She's balancing something invisibly on her chin. Right. So that gives you a sense of, it's like, I know people like that, but I don't instantly conjure up a picture of her. Right. Yeah, the closest you get, again, is Tom. Mm-hmm. You know that he's muscular. He has a hunk of muscle behind his neck, but... Yeah, he really stands out, actually, in the novel, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like everybody's a ghost except for Tom. Yeah, it's interesting. Even the sort of archetypical characters on the fringes, like the Jew, and Mm -hmm. they're all... Shades. Well, I would actually say the places where he does get into image stuff are some of the places that are weird for me. I've never cared for... I actually do. I have one memory of reading this when I was a kid or when I was in high school, which is that the eyes of Dr. Eckelberg or whatever, the chapter yeah. two, I think it is, really confused me. 
at whatever age I was. Like I didn't what was even going on there. Yeah, like I didn't understand that it was a billboard yeah. for the longest time. And I was just like, what is this? And it took me forever to figure it out. I don't think, the, uh, I, hate, I hate to date myself this much. I'm not sure that the internet was a thing that I could <laughs> so just figure it out. I yeah. could just check. Or if it was, I would have had to like go to the library and log on. But but it comes back, doesn't he? Yeah, Eckelberg? Yeah, it comes back and yeah. it drives, it, it, it in a, I think, kind of cheesy way, drives the narrative at the end with, God sees. with, with Wilson being like, I'm being looked upon by God. And well, that's where, yeah, that's where the the plot dro- bothered me a bit there at the end because I think it's just him really trying his best to tie this to early, late capitalism, whatever you want to say, mm-hmm. and commercialism in the 20s and going off the deep end with the whole West Egg, East Egg stuff and his exhaustion with American capitalism. And it was becoming more of just an allegory at that point. What is it so, that you don't buy would happen to these people organically? I felt... I mean, I get at the end that, what am I going to say? Tom was the one who went back and told Wilson, mm-hmm. right? I just didn't get the sense that he had convinced us that Wilson was the exact sort of man who would then go hunt this guy down and shoot him in his pool. I, I was pretty unconvinced by that. I thought it felt a little bit... Tom, the guy who can't stand up to his wife. Yeah. I, f- I thought it felt... I mean, maybe this guy would, but I didn't feel like Fitzgerald had really convinced me there. Yeah, you have a couple um, of big asks. You have to you, you have to well, believe that the Daisy just gets away blithely with murder, and there's and so, no investigation or anything. But what really bothered so standing before him, Michaelis, whatever his name is, saw with a shock that he was looking at the eyes of Doctor T.J. Eckelberg, which had just emerged, pale and enormous, from the dissolving night. And so mm-hmm. this is the character that's supposed to be connected to God in the mind of Wilson. And so what you have is Fitzgerald's playing on this trope of the simple-minded yokel, who's the peasant. Right. Yep. Um, being taken advantage of by the big machine. Yep. And so finally, he's going to come back and he's going to be the one who throws a wrench into the machine. But in telltale fashion, he really doesn't throw a wrench into anything. He just kills the other dreamer, mm-hmm. the other person who's just ancillary to everything, and the machine gets to keep going and chugging along. Right. That felt to me, that just felt like cheap allegory. I really wasn't convinced. Well, I'm also not sure I buy the moral of the allegory. Like, yeah. The and yeah, Toms I mean, and the Daisies lost and the Gatsby's yeah. won in real life. We are the generation that comes from the Gatsby's of the world, not so much. Yeah. The Trump generation. is a West Egger. Yeah, exactly. Trump is not yeah, an we, we were talking, we were touching on this a little yeah. bit last episode. Yeah. I felt the whole fantasy that we live in a whole fantasy world that West eggs, the West Eggers just also lived in. And I felt like it was, I felt that particular part of the novel was pretty cheap. I felt like he was being manipulative and oh. I didn't feel like he won't, he was doing me any favors there. This is not a typical question for the booking, I don't think, but might be fun. How would you have done it? I actually don't. I've thought of this, and I don't know how I would have done it. You have to have Gatsby's empire. His You have to have his dream collapse somehow. Right. Right? Yeah. I don't know if you have Tom kill him, because Gatsby just won't leave, and he tries to come into the house or something. I don't know. How would you do it? I mean, it felt like it was building would, towards a violent confrontation with Tom. That's kind yeah, of what you're supposed to think. That's what that's well, my instincts were going there. And I think that he pulls that away from us because, again, he wants to go for this powerless yeah, gesture. I, but. I think I'm happy with everything up to the point where Gatsby's now waiting. And I think I would have forced Gatsby to make a decision to take the fall or not and uh, to leave his past behind. Mm-hmm. And if he leaves his past behind, it can ruin him, and that's fine. Either way, he may end up ruined, but he's got to have a decision to leave the past behind or not, to take the fall for Daisy or not, to realize and accept who Daisy is and who she's become. And just, yeah, that's true. 
Well, that would force Vitality onto Gatsby like he would become. That was a very pretentious sentence there. Sorry, guys. That would force Vitality onto Gatsby. He would he would become more than a cipher if he had a that's relatable choice to if, make. That's that's why I would. That's exactly why I would do that. Is he going to become a real person or not? That's to me. Instead of taking the question off the table and leaving this mythical character out there, let's let's see if we can make him become flesh and blood. When his yeah. myth falls apart, what does he what do? What happens to him? Yeah. Yeah. When the myth falls to the ground, what happens to him? Yeah. What does he do? Does he decide to cling to the myth and go down with it? Or does he decide to grow beyond it? Either way of, uh, either one of which is ruinous. I mean, he's either going That's to- That's right. Either one, either way, it's a real problem and you can end it from there however you want. Right. But that's the question worth answering. In my mind, I would go for it. Mm-hmm. Well, and if you tell that answer, you might, like one of the things that I've never understood is Nick's relationship with Gatsby is, like he's, he tells Gatsby, what's his last line? The thing that he's always happy, he said, you're worth, you're worth the whole bunch of them or something like that. Yeah. Like, why does Gatsby inspire this in somebody? We, don't, we never really know. He, he then turns around and says that it wasn't true. He never thought much of Gatsby. But he says he's always glad he said that, like, it was heartfelt in the moment, at least. It, it may have been heartfelt in the moment, but the but I think m- more of the point was that he left a positive, somebody said something nice to him. Right. At the end. At the end of his life, when everybody he'd ever known was just a leech. They're a rotten crowd, I shouted across the lawn, you're worth the whole darn bunch put together i've always been glad i said that it was the only compliment i ever gave him because i disapproved of him from beginning to end yeah that's right and well, he I, may have actually meant it but all he means by it is i think that you're a terrible person yeah you're still better than all these yeah. but you're still better than all these much more terrible people right yeah so i think that yeah this is helping me really put a finger on what kind of bothers me about the ending of this novel i don't particularly think the wasteland is a very successful poem either I know it's, I used to love The Wasteland. I think it's fine. And I think it does a successful job of showing us what modernism thought about the world at the time. Right. And I think this is trying to do this sort of, he was a big fan of The Wasteland. For those who don't know The Wasteland, it's T.S. Eliot's, some think it's his best poem. It's where he largely took a bunch of excerpts and quotes from older literature, put them into this poem where the whole point was that Modern man can no longer make sense of the world rationally. It's all broken up and in ruins. And that we're left with art. We're left with trying to shape and make some sort of sense out of the world through art and philosophy. And you can see the same sort of thing here with Gatsby. Gatsby is the attempt at the American dream. And he's trying to show that it's impossible to even know what the dream is. Because the dream is killed and fades. Who knows what it is? You have all these other people trying to make sense of Gatsby. Wilson, even in the end, doesn't understand Gatsby because he kills Gatsby and he's the wrong person. He wasn't supposed to kill Gatsby. He was supposed to kill Tom. So I get what he's trying to do there. It just feels like a cheap way to treat the story. I think he wanted to go for an allegory, but he didn't do the work to convince me this was allegorical in the beginning. Yeah. This was Nick's attempt to tell this story. It was like, it was close to a deus ex machina, I suppose. Yeah, it just feels a little arbitrary. And like if Tom, it would be stupid, for example, it'd be too obvious if Tom just murdered Gatsby and it was just like, you see, the rich feed on the, yeah, and they don't let you, but at least the point, there'd be a kind of clarity to that. But if he wanted the ambiguity, you let even Gatsby's, like Jake's saying, you let Gatsby's attempt at being Gatsby die. Right. I mean, maybe it's not a better novel for that, but it's something that's striving for yeah. some 
but at least it's not moral clarity as you yeah. put it or whatever. And, but at least it's not this cheap literary device of just yeah. trying to force your narrative to do something that it, and so then he starts making it where George is suspecting his wife and he's getting sick and you're just like, who is George? He's, he's starting to seem just like a tool as opposed to an actual character. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of people out there that disagree with this take on it, but I was frustrated by that largely because a lot of modernism and their attempts to twist things to make their message, um, to defend their message just frustrates me. So. Yeah. I don't know that I was consciously frustrated by it, but now that you bring it up, I mean, I didn't think to be well, like annoyed by it. But For example, I know this is a book that I have a troubled relationship with. Midnight's Children is a very postmodern book. Mm-hmm. But at least he convinces you from the beginning that there's some allegory to it. Right. And so at the end, when it becomes very allegorical, it pays off. Right. He's earned it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Gatsby doesn't really do that work. Yeah. That's my biggest gripe. I actually kind of like this book. Yeah. I don't want people to leave saying that. I mean, I actually like this book a lot. Yeah. I think Fitzgerald's a fantastic writer. I think overall this book works. (laughs) I I know people tend to think that I hate every single classic book that's ever been written. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Whenever you feel like criticizing anyone, just remember that all the people in this world haven't had the advantages that you've had. That's right, Brandon. I know. Fitzgerald hadn't had the advantages of moral no, clarity well. and yeah, well, biblical knowledge. and If only he had. A great podcast to Gatsby discuss didn't literature. have the advantages yeah. that Carraway had, just like that. Yep. I mean, well. okay, so if you're going to argue against what Brandon's saying, you could argue that it's actually Carraway's story, mm-hmm. even though it's called The Great Gatsby, and it's the story of these people that he met and this thing that happened. It's more about the impact on him. So it's ultimately sort of doesn't matter how Gatsby's resolved. Okay. <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> I mean, in other words, you you what you're you're wanting like Jake's version forces Gatsby to actually make a choice and and effectively pays off the story of Gatsby. But actually, who cares? It's not the story of Gatsby. It's the story of Nick Carraway's summer mm-hmm. vacation where yeah. he met a bunch of weird rich people, saw how the world worked. It emerged a little bit back older and wiser and decided it's not for me. I'm still not saying the ending's great, but from that point of view, from that vantage point, it's more excusable mm-hmm. because it doesn't really matter. It's not Gadsby's story. He really is just a cipher well, and intentionally so. If that's the case, then there I would have been fine with just even more ambiguity. Mm-hmm. Like you have that section, that really actually beautiful section where he's talking about his Midwest. Yeah. It's one of my favorite parts. That's my middle west, not the weed of the prairies of the lost sweet towns, but the thrilling returning trains of my youth and the street lamps and sleigh bells and the frosty dark and the shadows of holly wreaths thrown by lighted windows on the snow. That's actually where he does kind of get very uh, concrete with his imagery. Yes. It is very well, strange. because the Midwest is what's concrete for Nick Carraway. Yeah. But it's even even there, it's just this middle space where he's passing New York to is a dream. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. I think what how it would have been better is had he just heard these things, hadn't actually been there to see it, Gatsby's death. Right. Like these are just things I heard. I don't even really know what's the case or mm-hmm. right and i and i went to see tom and daisy later and they turned me their versions of things but i wasn't there i don't know yeah who knows what happened really in the end i think that would have actually put a nicer bow on it and probably made the case he was trying to make a little stronger more ambiguity or less ambiguity yeah. could have solved the problems and made a different but stronger novel instead yeah. it's kind of a middle ground yeah is what i hear you saying and i think i may agree with you I mean, I don't know. It's the great Gatsby. It's kind of silly to talk about changing it. I felt a little self-conscious bringing up the question of what. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I only tried to answer it from point of view of if I were telling a story. Right. What would you do? About this type of character, what would I 
what would I do? And the fact is, you also wouldn't have uh, Fitzgerald's shortcomings and his strengths. And yeah, that's that's right. Fair enough point there. Yeah, but I'm not trying to undermine. There'd probably point. be an I octopus I, in there somewhere. There would be an octopus. There would be an octopus. And so, but I think I've made the point before that there's no reason to approach texts like this, like we do the Bible. They're mm-hmm. not sacred. They are part of the canon, right? But still. Nobody is saying that Fitzgerald was a genius to such an extent that everything he wrote was perfect, right? And that's the way that people tend to approach. And I know this is one of my soapboxes, mm-hmm. but that's the way that people tend to approach literature, is though every word that has ever been written that we see as part of the canon is now sacred text. Mm-hmm. And how dare you question Fitzgerald ending the novel this way? Right, right. You're like, how dare I? Well, because I happen to be a lover of novels and I question plenty of things that authors do. It's called reading actively <laughs> and with discernment. I yes. question I the ending of Anna Karenina. I don't it if I don't yeah. actually engage it. I don't particularly like the ending of Anna Karenina. I still think it's the greatest novel ever written. Yeah. Yep. I'm with you. I'm with you. I was taking the long devil's advocate route around yeah. to agreeing with you there. I wasn't actually trying yeah. to... Step on your point, even though it's And if it makes people feel better, I would say these things to Fitzgerald's face, and I would say these things to Tolstoy's Mm -hmm. face. Yeah. And actually, I've dug up his grate, and his skull is right outside. I am a ghost, so (laughs) I can just go to to his... (laughs) Where is he haunting, probably? Yeah. (laughs) Hello, Brandon. This is I, the ghost of... Train station. Fitzgerald. Hello, old chum. Hey, Fitzgerald. I hear you have some things to say about my... My cracking good novel. <laughs> oh, boy. Yes, I talk like a crappy stereotype of... <laughs> Old sport. A rummy tum... Rummy tum tiger? Tugger. <laughs> <laughs> You're about to read us something. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm all right. I'm going to jump ship, jump off this ridiculous bit right now, folks. Can I uh, go to the bathroom before you ask your next question? Yes. Well, Brandon, Jake's... Ran to the bathroom is what happened. And so why don't we take this opportunity to do donor shout outs real quick? Let's do it. This is going to be like the fastest, most efficient donor shout out ever. This is exactly what certain people want. Yeah, it's exactly what certain people want. And uh, the Immortal Chelsea Eat. Immortal Chelsea Eat. Nathan, get it. Or, sorry. Uh, Nathan, not me. Nathan, not Nathan. Jimmy Beeman, Little Annie Oakley. Jimmy Beeman, Little Annie Oakley. Lily of the Valley. Lily of the Valley. And her nuts with the lovebird. Little babies. Various babies. Little babies, very babies. Jenny Z, the inscrutable Jenny Z. The inscrutable Jenny Z. Robert and Ron of the Lovebirds. Robert and Ron of the Lovebirds. John and Jill and Little Baby Max. John and Jill and Little Baby Max. They don't have a special nomination, do they? Sherlock John. Sherlock John. Yes, I like that. Sherlock John, Watson Jill and Little Baby Max. The Keith Master. Keith Master. Mm, David's Mighty Men Trucking. David's Mighty Men Trucking. All your trucking needs, folks. All your trucking needs, My beloved Mother Beth. Nathan's beloved Mother Beth. The incandescent Meredith. The incandescent Meredith. The future Mrs. Alberson. I love it. Mrs. Alberson. I love it, too. Oh. Joanna the strong and bold and righteous and mighty. Joanna the strong and bold and righteous and mighty. Or Johanna, perhaps? Johanna. Uh, She told us this, but I'm not Johannesburg. Johannesburg. (laughs) Wait, no. Maya! Maya! Roundhouse Ryan and Roundhouse Ryan and Jujitsu Jujitsu Judy Judith. or was it Judo Judy Judo Judy Judo Judy Danny the Dude Danny the Dude DJ, Danny the Dude DJ Sammy G DJ Sammy G Wigga Wigga Jay and Katie who are cold and love cheese Jay and Katie who are cold and love cheese Benny and Dana Tiberius Benny and Dana Tiberius Eric and Catherine and little baby Silas Eric and Catherine and little baby Cyrus 
Professor X and Lady X. Professor X and Lady X. And, of course, Jeremy, the Dark Hooded Lord of Death. Jeremy, the Dark Hooded Lord of Death. (laughs) (laughs) This is a very metal, very metal name. All right. Well, uh, we got- He is a big fan of metal. We got through our donor shout outs. That was exciting. And now we're going to come back to the regular show. Copper. Jake is walking in the room right now. Iron. Bronze. Yep. Those are names of- Metals. Different. There's ages, whole ages yeah. named after those medals. I happen to know that this guy, he collects lots of medals. That's all he does. Yep. Well, we're just about out of time, fellas, but we're going to be back next week. We can talk about the novel a little bit more, but we'll be discussing the Baz Luhrmann, Leonardo DiCaprio movie as well. But for this week, we will wrap up our discussion by asking, do you, gentlemen, give the coveted BSOA to The Great Gatsby? Yeah. Yeah. I do. Me too. Great. Do you? Yeah. Why not? It's good. It's a classic. Who am I to question it? I would say in the book of Nathan, <laughs> it is a minor classic. Like, it's, it's not, not that the, exciting. It's not yeah, the it's great like, American. It's not like going in any time capsules. Yeah, I ain't going to put it in any time capsule. But we're starting the year out with a bang. Yeah. And it's then we're better, on to Jane Austen. Better than until we have faces. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how we started it last year. I forgot that that's been a year now since we had our yeah. infamous take on C.S. Lewis. <laughs> yep. <laughs> if people want to hear one of our more infamous episodes, they can listen to Till We Have Faces. And if you've ever hear, heard us make fun of, in fact, I suggest that you do. I suggest that you listen to our Winnie the Pooh episode. I suggest that you listen to our Till We Have Faces episodes because you will get a lot of context of things that you will hear us talk flippantly about and make fun of in other episodes. And you may be like, why do these guys hate C.S. Lewis? Why do they hate A.A. Mount? Well, we don't. But you got to listen to the whole episodes to get a bunch of like... Well, if you actually listen to the episode on A.A. Mount, you'll be like... What's the big deal? Right. I think. Yeah. And if you listen That's to the C.S. Lewis think. episode, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I kind of hate him too. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's the worst. He's and, villain of 2018. And Ooh, I admire right. other things about him. Yes, there are things to admire. was written and produced by me, Nathan Aberson, performed by Brandon, Jake, and me. And you can go to patreon.com forward slash the booking to support us. You can go to Apple or wherever you listen to your podcast to leave us a nice review, which Brandon's going to dictate for you now. Oh, am I? Mm-hmm. I'm not <laughs> <laughs> apt to do this. <laughs> Brandon is not apt to dictate a review for no, you. No, no, they're not apt to do this. Okay. But the booking rocks. I'm not apt to do this, but the booking rocks. Yeah. It's a nice, short, simple review. I love it. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll be ne- back next week. We're going to watch the Boz or Baz Lerman, Leonardo DiCaprio version of The Great Gatsby and discuss it. So it'll be this episode of The Looking next week doing that. Wahoo. Wahoo. <laughs> <laughs>